Today's scripture reading is Luke 6, 1 through 11. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to follow along with us. And if you don't, please feel free to grab one on your way out. Again, our reading is Luke 6, 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Esther. Uh, Would you pray with me as we continue on together as we prepare to hear from God's Word? Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit that is at work in us and among us, asking that you would speak to us in this time, that you would remove our distractions, our barriers to belief and trust in you, that we might see you, behold you for who you are, and that we might receive your word, and may it form us and shape us to be more and more like Jesus, our Lord. It is in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. When we, when we think about the greatest threats that kind of are in our world today, what, what poses the greatest threat to our well-being, to our safety, to our health, to our pursuit of wholeness, of joy, of peace. If you're a follower of Jesus, you could add your discipleship. What are the greatest threats? Is it, is it, is it lust? Is it pride? Is it any other of the, the great uh, seven deadly sins? Uh, is it the lack of resources? Is it anxiety? Is it stress? Is it the fact that there's 213 days between now and the first regular season game of the Chiefs uh, in the fall? Is, is that what is kind of keeping us from joy? Like, what, whatever it is, there, there's all these things we could p- kind of point to. But if I had to kind of put something at the top of the list, or near the top at least, I would say that the thing that poses one of the greatest threats to us today is far more simple than that, but also far more sinister. And I think it's busyness. I think it's the fact that we are so hurried and overwhelmed with schedules, with work, with activities, that we don't know how to be human as we used to. And and again, like like I said, busyness sounds so innocent, so innocuous. Like, how can that be one of the greatest threats? But if if we just consider it for a moment, we, we know that busyness poses a great threat to us. I mean, if you think about it, even what's the most common answer to the question now, how are you? It's good, I'm just busy. 
I mean, it's so common. I mean, busy is now the new fine. Like, how are you fine? Like, now it's busy. But here's the thing. We say it, at least I do, I should say, not out of a sense of, like, lament and pity, but we almost say we're busy with this sense of pride and, and this recognition that we're significant and important. All the while kind of being naive and ignorant to the fact that this, this common answer, busy, is weaponized in our day to wound and weaken our ability to find what it means to be truly human in our world. I think busyness poses a great threat to us, which is why Corey Ten Boom once quipped that if the devil can't make us bad, he will make us what? Busy. I believe this is something that keeps us from experiencing the good life we all long for. We find ourselves in various ways overworked, overscheduled, overindulged, and thus overwhelmed. We live in a world where there's mounting anxiety and depression where we're overwhelmed with various mental illnesses of stress, levels of unhappiness are beyond comprehension, and so much of the research that is coming out is pointing at that there is a causal relationship between these things and our busy, hurried, overscheduled lives. In fact, Byung-Chul Han, he's a professor of philosophy at Stanford, in his little book called The Burnout Society, he makes this observation. He says, neurological illnesses such as depression, ADHD, borderline personality disorder, and burnout syndrome mark the landscape of pathology at the beginning of the 21st century. They are not infections, but infractions. They do not follow from the negativity of what is immunologically foreign, but from an excess of positivity. Now what he's saying here is essentially that the problems by and large that we face are not due to a lack of resources that we need to pursue the good life, rather it is the overindulgence of good things that we have elevated to categories they were never intended to be. And we've built our lives upon things that while in and of themselves are good, were never meant to be the foundation of our lives. We live in a world where we struggle to work in a way that we don't attach our identity and worth to it. We, we live in a world where we struggle to enjoy things without turning them into kind of functional narcotics and, and idols. We, we struggle to, to live and just be in the world without having to be entertained, distracted, satiated, or plugged in. We struggle to know how to function in this overly busied, hurried world. Now, we've been in this series uh, that we've called Rediscovering Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that I want us to rediscover about Jesus is his radical, countercultural, and very offensive teaching of Sabbath rest. You see, Jesus, the, the most offensive thing that Jesus taught on when it came to the religious leaders of the day was the Sabbath. And we find that shown for us in Luke chapter 6 in our text this morning. His audience became wildly angry at his teaching on Sabbath, and it's possible when we hear Jesus' words, we may react very similarly. So I want us to lean into this text in Luke 6, but before we do, I want to step back and give us just a broad overview of what is Sabbath. And I, and I want to do this quickly. Obviously, I can't do it justice, but I want to step back and see what is Sabbath. The first reference of Sabbath is actually on page two of the Bible. In Genesis two, we see God resting from his work of creation. He made the seventh day holy, for he rested from his work. In the teaching of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy five, we see the commandment of remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and it's rooted in God himself, that these rhythms of work and rest are woven into creation because they are inherent in the nature and the character of God himself. 
But in the, the account of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, we read another motivation of why rest and Sabbath is so important. It says this, on it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so what we see in this teaching of the command is that we must rest, yes, because God rested, but we also rest as a gift from God so that we don't find ourselves living under the tyranny of unceasing labor. Because God roots it back into the reality that you were once a slave and now you're not. Don't live as a slave. Embrace the good gift and the command of rest so that you don't fall back into the tyranny of living under unceasing labor and so that you don't create that same tyranny for those who are under your care and leadership and influence. We rest to remind ourselves that we are no longer slaves and that we need not attach our identity, worth, and significance to what we do. But then we come to the New Testament. So that's just the broad Old Testament teaching on the Sabbath. Then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus, this, this carpenter from Nazareth, comes on the scene and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And there's a lot in that statement that Jesus is saying. There's two things I want to point out. The first is that when Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is declaring definitively, in fact, I would say the most definitive statement, that he is, in fact, God. For Jesus to say he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, which was an ordinance created by God at creation. And so for Jesus to say he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is declaring he is God, which is one of the reasons why he was so offensive to the Pharisees. The second thing that Jesus is pointing out as Lord of the Sabbath is that he is the manifestation, the fulfillment of what the Sabbath was designed for. The Sabbath was created by God to produce rhythms of rest and peace, of restoration, of communion with God, of celebration and joy, and all of those things are provided for us in Jesus himself. As Lord of the Sabbath, he has come not just to teach us about the Sabbath and to teach us about rest, but to be our rest. So before we even talk about what it means to rest and to observe the Sabbath, we need to understand and root ourselves in this truth that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he has come to be our rest. If we don't get that, all of our conversation about how to rest, how to engage Sabbath will be in vain until we see Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's just, that, that's just the back, I just summed up the Bible teaching on Sabbath in like four minutes. But now, knowing that backdrop, I want to turn to our text and see this first thing that the Pharisees reveal. They kind of tip their hands, so to speak, and show us how they have distorted the command of Sabbath. How they have distorted the command of Sabbath. As our text shows, the Pharisees were very peeved and kind of annoyed with Jesus on two different occasions uh, as he uh, engaged in activities on the Sabbath. The first is that his disciples were plucking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and then eating them, which the Pharisees said was unlawful. The second episode is when Jesus heals a man who has a withered hand, and the Pharisees get all over Jesus because he is doing something that is forbidden on the Sabbath. So basically what this is saying, like, like the Pharisees are so annoyed that these guys are eating heads of grain on the Sabbath. Like what would they think of us eating donut holes in church on Sunday? I'm just curious what the Pharisees would think. But the second episode reveals truly how distorted the Sabbath had become in their minds. That they were upset with Jesus for doing good, 
of bringing life to this withered hand. It shows that this good gift that God had created, the Sabbath, had been manipulated and distorted to become this ritualistic, legalistic practice that produced their righteousness. And so this is kind of what has happened. The original command that was good has been distorted, which is why the Pharisees in Luke chapter 6, verses 2 and verses 7 say this, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they're, they're, they're critiquing Jesus. But then in verse 7, in the attempt to heal this withered man's hand, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They took something good and distorted it. This, is, this was illustrated in my own life recently. A couple weeks ago, we had some time off. We, we just stayed home. And one of my goals is like, hey, let's do something fun together as a family. And so I went and bought a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle. I've never done a puzzle like in my entire life. I was like, this will be fun. We'll do it together as a family. We'll gather around the dining room table. It'll be lovely. What I learned is that I have a very unhealthy relationship with puzzles. And so like what I thought would be this wonderful time, our kids will, you'll have your corner, Lula, and Eddie, you'll have your corner. It turned into this like, no, no, no that doesn't go, that doesn't fit, this is, that's a corner piece, I need that. And so what turned out, what my hope was, it would be a fun family moment, turned into this very unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship obsession that I have with puzzles. And now my family doesn't want to spend time with me around the puzzle table. So. That's, that's neither here nor there. There was actually a moment where I spent so much time around it. The kids were in bed. Meg and I were sitting on the couch, and, and I just looked over and I said, oh, it's just, it's good to spend time with you. And she said, are you talking to me or the puzzle? I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> it, it was her. It was her. But I, I do love puzzles. But the point is, the point is, is that just in the same way the Pharisees had taken a good thing and distorted it. Now, when we think about our day, I don't think we're tempted to distort the Sabbath in the way the Pharisees did we distort it in a very different way. You see, what the Pharisee said is we need to keep the Sabbath in order to be good. But in our day, the distortion is we need to disregard the Sabbath in order to be successful. We need to suspend rest and forget about rest because that is an impediment to the good life we are pursuing. And so while each of these distinct distortions are kind of running on parallel tracks, they produce the same outcome, namely an affront against God, a slap in the face of this good gift that he's giving us that is ultimately rooted in a lack of trust in God to provide our righteousness and to provide for what we need to live life as he has designed it. And this is really at the heart of the struggle of keeping Sabbath and embracing rest. We feel as though we can't rest. We can't rest from our work. We can't rest from our hobbies. We can't rest from our kids' activities or the home projects or our hobbies or wealth creation or whatever. Like, we can't rest from these things because everything else will fall apart and we won't get the life that we long for. Rest is this peculiar thing in our world where we, we simultaneously long for it and kind of see it as a sign of weakness and laziness and even downright un-American. To rest, I mean, like that, that, that's such a sign of foolishness. In fact, we're, we have gone so far as to not only disregarding the Sabbath, we reward Sabbath breaking. I mean, if I were to tell you and confess to you, I am constantly guilty of violating nine out of the 10 commandments, you would probably question if I'm qualified to be a pastor. But if I told you I break the Sabbath and I work on my days off, some of you might recommend I get a raise. Because that kind of communicates, I'm, I'm hardworking, I'm willing to sacrifice a day of rest to get what needs done accomplished. And this is where I think we have distorted this command of Sabbath. 
We see it as weakness, we see it as foolishness, and yet all the while, we still find ourselves on this seemingly unending cycle of, of overworking, of, of trying to find rest through excessive consumption, constantly distracted, and on this cycle of perpetual exhaustion. And so we might look at rest and see it as silly, foolish, weak, but at the same time, we are so overwhelmed. And I'm speaking, I'm speaking as one who, is deeply, who deeply struggles with rest. I understand that about myself. I live my life in a constant hurry. And like I said, I wear my hurriedness and my busyness as a badge of honor because it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing things. I'm significant. I've earned my keep. I'm proving to you all that I can accomplish things. I work fast. I eat fast. I run and walk fast. I preach fast for crying out loud. Like I, I, I live my life at a fast pace. In fact, how sad and ironic this is, I recently uh, listened to a book, I listen to books fast. I listened to a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry at two times speed. <laughs> like, like just let the, the, the sad, pathetic irony of that statement just sink in for a second. It's like trying to put a gym in a Krispy Kreme. It's like you're, that defeats the purpose of what you're trying to do. And my guess is, before you start judging me, is that you probably resonate with that. You struggle with the same kind of hurriedness, busyness, I've got to get it all done, there's not enough time. And it's possible that some of us, our, our inability or lack thereof to rest is more of a can't than a won't. But regardless, all of us have to do some serious evaluation of how we are engaging our work how we are allowing our schedules to be filled up, how we allow our kids to go from activity to activity to activity, how we are consuming things and, and spending our free time or leisure time. What does it look like for us to rest? And that's where I wanna turn next. We see how we've distorted the Sabbath. So what does it look like to practice the gift of Sabbath? And I wanna get practical here because I want us to help, I wanna think wisely I want us to think well and worshipfully about what Sabbath is. Because it's not just, hear me, it's not just about how do we find ways to relax and unwind better. That's not what I'm talking about. But rather, Sabbath is about how do we establish rhythms of having intentional, focused attention upon Jesus by removing, by ceasing, by eliminating things in our life that distract us. It's not about how do we kind of live into this lazy life. Mar Marva Dawn, in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, very clever, uh, she says this, a great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us, not by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. That is exactly Sabbath. It is the practice of saying, I am not God, and God, you are. And while there's so much more to be done, I am entrusting my life to you. By ceasing, I am establishing a posture of trust. You see, we need Sabbath in our lives because in our work, whether it's paid or unpaid, in the home, outside the home, our work is simultaneously, simultaneously the place where we are reminded that we are like God, but it is also the place we are tempted the most to become like God in, in very unhealthy ways. We need Sabbath to guard ourselves from becoming our own functional gods. And to be clear, one thing I wanna be clear about, Sabbath is not just about how to have a good day off. A day off is, is one thing. Sabbath is an entirely different category because so often our day off is spent catching up on all the work we didn't get to do 
working on things around the home, uh, trying to accomplish all these tasks, filling our lives with hobbies and activities, consuming ourselves, numbing ourselves through various forms of entertainment, whatever it may be. We try to inoculate ourselves through various activities and trying to find a way to rest and return back to work. And what it does is it creates this formula in our lives. When we work for compensation, plus rest through consumption, we get exhaustion. When work is just for ourselves, when we're working just for a paycheck, and when our rest is accomplished through consuming and kind of numbing ourselves through whatever activity, it produces exhaustion. It shouldn't surprise us that if we work 50 to 60 hours a week and then try to rest from that by binge watching Netflix or scrolling on our phones or engaging in social media or moving from activity to activity to activity, we shouldn't be surprised that it produces exhaustion. We're not ready to go back to work. We're completely exhausted because the rest we pursued was not true rest. But when we seek to enter into God's good design rhythms, we find a different formula. When work is for contribution, for the good of others, for the love of neighbor, and when rest is accomplished through attention to Jesus and his presence with us, that is what produces restoration. When work is done for the good of our neighbors, when rest is found in attention to Jesus uniquely, that is where we find restoration. So if, if I had to define Sabbath, and I was, I was struggling on how to do this, but I, I would put it in these words, and this isn't like a deep, rich theological definition, but this is just a way of trying to put it in words here for us. I would say that Sabbath is a prepared day of rest where we focus our attention and desires upon the presence and goodness of God. It is a prepared day of rest where we focus our attention and desires upon the presence and goodness of God. The practice of Sabbath is about removing distractions, whether they're good or bad, but for sure if they're bad, removing distractions, intentionally slowing down our pace, and engaging in restorative practices that focus our hearts, affections, and our minds' attention upon God and His goodness. And we see this in the way in which Jesus is kind of saying something implicitly about the Sabbath back in our text. Look with me at Luke 6, verse 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus does almost all of his healings. I don't know if you know this. Almost all of his healings that he does on, on purpose, on intention, is on the Sabbath. And, and there's, there, that is on purpose because Jesus is saying something about what the Sabbath is meant to be. The Sabbath is about restoration. The Sabbath is about being restored and returning back to the way of being human that we were created to be. Jesus is not just saying the Sabbath is about doing good things for your neighbors. That's true. He's saying something more profound. That Sabbath is about returning to these rhythms that are woven into the creation itself and the character of God of work and rest. We're at its core. There is an attention to and a delight in the presence of God in all things. That's what we mean by Sabbath. So what I want to do, I, I want to offer just a few suggestions for us. And, and, and hear me, these are, these are not commands or mandates. I, I, you know, again, the Pharisees' distortion was adding things to the Sabbath to make it a re religious activity. These are just some, some suggestions and ideas to kind of animate our imagination of what it looks like to return to this lost practice of Sabbath in our day. The first thing I would say is this, pick, protect, and prepare. Pick, protect, and prepare. And what I mean by that is, 
pick a 24-hour period of time to be your Sabbath day of rest. And if that seems completely impossible, then start with six hours and build from there. Again, it's not about like, like, like having a timer and a stopwatch. You don't need to email me like, Reed, I did 24 hours. Like, I don't need to know that. But, but the goal is to have a day that we pick, that we protect, and we prepare for. And so, so do all the things that you need to do before that day. Like if you need it, if, if laundry is not restful for you, and if it is, that's just strange. But if that's not restful for you, do those things before your day of rest. Do everything you need to do. All the things that are not restful, try to get them done beforehand. And, and mark the day in some way. If you're going to start, so our family, we've been trying to practice this from Friday evening to Saturday evening. And so we, we're trying to mark it with uh, the lighting of a candle, the reading of a psalm as a way to indicate the start of this special day. And then guard it like a hawk. Protect that day as best as possible. And again, it's not about being religious and legalistic about it. But but some of you might be thinking, how on earth is this even possible? Well, I mean, I I need a better picture of this. And if you want a good picture of this, you you need not look any further than the activities in our city on Wednesday. Our entire city decided to cease working, to remove all distractions, and to focus upon a source of great joy and celebration, namely the Chiefs Parade. You know, that's right, that deserves an applause. Why, yeah, but here, I'm, a, I'm a Chiefs fan. I love the Super Bowl win. It was great. I'm not bashing the Chiefs by any means. But what I'm saying is this is a great example of what Sabbath should look like. It is this communal practice, ideally, of people picking a day, removing distractions, and focusing our hearts upon that which satisfies, ultimately. And it's not Patrick Mahomes It is Jesus Christ. So pick, protect, and prepare. Secondly, create Sabbath buckets. And what I mean by that is have categories of what you fill your day with and what you remove from that day. Marva Dawn, in in her book, uh, Keeping Sabbath Holy, she creates these four categories. She says we need to think about things uh, of ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. And again, these are not legalistic ritual terms, but think about what are the things we need to cease from? What do we need to stop? What are the things that are restful, that actually rejuvenate us, that are life-giving? Like, like Jesus said, the Sabbath is about bringing about life, not death. So what do we need to cease from? What is restful? Thirdly, what are things that we need to embrace? What are practices we can engage in that uniquely focus our attention and our affections upon Jesus? And then lastly, feasting. What are ways we can celebrate What does it look like to rejoice and delight in God's good creation, not in such a way that it becomes this functional narcotic that we use to numb our pain, but as a means of worship to praise God, the giver of all good gifts, amen? That's what Sabbath should be about. So we need to pick, protect, and prepare. We need to create Sabbath buckets. Thirdly, we need to remove distractions. And this is probably the hardest one for us. We need to remove the things that that do kind of vie for our attention and our affection. And so we need to take a break from our work. We need to maybe take a break from the things that distract us like our devices. And so maybe for you, it's like turning your phone on airplane mode for 24 hours, which like that just like right now just causes some panic in all of us. Uh, Maybe it's just eliminating devices or minimizing screen time, getting off social media. Maybe it's shopping, like don't do any shopping. And not because it's legalistic or materialistic, but because perhaps shopping is this thing that you have turned to to kind of escape to numb yourself from the busyness and hurriedness of life. What are those things? What are the distractions? You know them in your life. I can't tell you what they are. What are the things that distract you? And how can we remove them? Again, not because they're inherently bad. Maybe they are, and if that's true, then remove them. 
But if they distract us, what does it look like to practice the elimination of these things? And then lastly, pay attention to God's presence. So we need to pick and prepare and protect a day off, create kind of these Sabbath, Sabbath buckets or categories of, of ceasing, resting, um, embracing, and feasting. We also need to remove distractions, but lastly, pay attention to God's presence. And so maybe what this looks like is having fixed times in this day of practice of prayer. And so maybe you have a morning prayer time, a midday prayer time, an evening prayer time. Again, not legalistic, not ritualistic, just suggestions. Maybe it's a day where you uniquely spend time in God's word and read things slowly, not for mileage, but for formation. Maybe it's a day where you and your family or friends or roommates decide to engage in some kind of project of loving and caring for an immediate proximate neighbor. Maybe you fill that day with gratitude of writing thank you cards to people who you are thankful to God for in your life. Maybe it's a way of engaging in a celebratory activity that fills your mind and heart with gratitude to God. Now hear me when I say this. Sabbath is not about cramming all of your Jesus stuff into one day and then feasting off of that for the rest of the week. Like, that's not it. But rather, what, what Sabbath is meant to be is a, an intentional day of focused attention upon Jesus that then forms and shapes the rest of our week. It is, it, it, it's like, think about Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day is not the only day of the year where we're supposed to be thankful. If that's the case, we've missed the point. But it, that day is meant to form and shape our other days, to fill it with gratitude. And so how does the Sabbath, this, the, the, the hope of this practice is that it begins to shape and form every day where we, we are able to rest in Jesus uniquely. The last thing I'll say about this, if you're interested in kind of learning more, if this is scratching an itch or like, I have no idea even where to begin with this, let me suggest just four books if you'd like. You don't need to read all these. You don't need to write a homework assignment. If you want to, you can write a paper and send it to me. I probably won't read it. But these are four books that I would recommend. Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda. Common Rule by Justin Whitmull Early. He talks a little bit more about how do we eliminate distractions in general in our technological age. The Sabbath by Abraham Heschel is a great classic. And then The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I would recommend not listening to it at two times speed. But these are just some suggested readings. This is not the, the whole canon of books about the Sabbath, but hopeful maybe beginning practices to give you an imagination of what this could look like. Now, I began by talking about how it's important that as we think about these practices of rest and Sabbath, that we, we focus on the fact that it's rooted in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's where I want to close. That all of this would be to no avail if we failed to rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, did not come merely to teach us how to rest. Because rest is not just a practice, it is not just a habit, it is not just a state of being. Rest is a person, and his name is Jesus. And if we fail to understand that rest is found in Jesus alone, all of our attempts to rest from our work will just exhaust us. Jesus has come to provide in himself all that the Sabbath was intended to create, namely restoration, peace, wholeness, communion with God, celebration, and joy. Which is why we should never grow tired of Jesus' wonderful invitation to us in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, declares to us 
that we need not work and labor to establish our worth and acceptance in his eyes, for that has been accomplished for us in Jesus. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, has come to say, I am your master and you are not a slave anymore. Find rest in me, in my easy yoke. And his yoke is easy because when we live with and for Jesus, we find that all of our endless pursuits of significance through what we accomplish are null and void because he has accomplished it for us fully in his life, death, and resurrection. Amen? That's why we can rest in Jesus. It's easy because Jesus has come to fulfill the longings of our hearts. Friends, you and I, we need rest. But more than that, we need the Lord of Sabbath rest. The one who, when we understand who Jesus is, the Lord of the Sabbath, we find that his life is a life lived for our worthiness. That his death was a death that was accomplished for our sacrifice and that his resurrection is something we share in the victory of death, Buried forever, once, once and for all. Yes, we need rest, but more than that, we need to rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. So are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you exhausted? Are you completely depleted from trying to earn your significance through what you do? Then my encouragement to us is to rest in the Lord of the Sabbath, who has come to bring us to himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, um, I know I can't speak for my congregation here, for my church family, Lord, but I know that I long for rest. Lord, you know the, the proclivity in my heart and in my life to work to obtain some kind of significance, to establish my worth and my validation in what I do. And Lord, not only is that keeping me from resting in your work on my behalf, but it is keeping me from the rest that my heart longs for. So Lord, would you meet me, would you meet us in our hurried, busy lives? May we leave and flee from these tendencies to exhaust ourselves, and may we hear you and your invitation to rest in you. Lord, for those who are far from you, would you draw them near, and would they find that you are the rest that their souls have been longing for? Lord Jesus, be Lord of the Sabbath over all of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.